Howdy, folks. Welcome to Down with the Dharma. Today, my friend Fawn and I are joined by another Dharma friend of ours, Jim Fredrickson. And so, like Dot and myself, Dot, Dot describes himself as a contemplative who, who teaches contemplative practice. And Jim and I describe ourselves as um, lay Dharma teachers. And so Jim, like Dot and I, um, used to be a monk in the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition. And then now he's transitioned back into lay life. And he is living in Sweden, where he's from originally. And Dot, of course, is at his community in France. Um, and I'm actually on holiday, so I'm actually in Cusco, Peru. Um, that's where I'm recording uh, from today. And so today we invited Jim to be on the show to um, the the topic we want to focus on is bodhicitta, the, the mind of love, the, the volition of practice, the volition of wanting to help others. And so we want to explore Jim's volition. What was his volition that led him to become a monk? And what was his volition that nourished him while being a monk? And then how did his volition lead him to transitioning back into lay life as a lay Dharma teacher? So that's the central topic that we want to talk about today. Um, but first, I'd just like to say hello both to Dot and Jim. And um, so, Jim, how are you doing today? How is it? How's the weather in Sweden? Hi, John. Hi, Dot. Yeah, well, I'm doing well. I'm uh, feeling physically stronger than I have in four years, so I feel blessed. And this afternoon, I, I took a walk down to the coast and the ocean that is close by, but uh, very gray. And uh, at times here in Sweden these days, it feels like uh, dawn never breaks until it's dusk. So uh, I was able to get some daylight today in a nice walk. So I'm, I'm feeling well and grateful to be here with you tonight. Great, great. Great to have you. Um, Dot, how are you doing today? How's the weather in France? I'm doing very well, John. Thank you. So it was a, a great joy to um, gather and just explore things that are precious to us. I'm doing very well. We have a, a group of coaches just left the center, about 15 of them, where we've been working together for about a year and a half now. So it's quite nice to see things um, growing as a, a collective. Um, yeah, I had to cook, so I cooked for about 20 people. So I was able to take a shower and rest and watch some clouds. That's my pastime. I just lie down watch clouds for about an hour and I'm ready to go again. So, <laughs> so the sun just set here, so it's been a nice time to gather. Nice. Yeah, I'm in Cusco. It's sunny today. It's summertime here. Um, and it can get a little chilly at night. Um, and it rains from time to time. Um, but yeah, I've just been enjoying being here. Um, spending time with my wife, doing some writing, and just, I'm on winter break, so I'm preparing to start teaching again in the spring semester. So um, I'm just enjoying being 
in Cusco and just, uh, yeah, being in the natural environment here, it's very nice. Um, okay, so um, we can start off now. So, Bodhicitta, um, Volition. So, Jim, uh, our first question for you would be, um, what was the volition that um, led you to want to become a monk with the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition? And um, um, when was that? And just, um, <laughs> yeah, what, uh, please share about that experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, it's like a string of events and something that had been pulling me in a certain direction. Even when I was at law school, I felt like it's too much work just doing this for the money. I need it to be helpful. I want to help people. And after practicing for a couple of years, it's actually what people need help with. That's not what I, they want me to offer them. And so I, I, I went traveling and uh, at a, a Buddhist meditation retreat in India. It's like, it was just like such clarity. Uh, and such gratitude of the Buddha's teaching on the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. It's like, oh, wow, the thing that I've been confused about, the thing that I've been frustrated about, now I understand. Someone has walked the path. Someone has, like, laid a, a trail. So that, from then on, the Dharma became my life. And during first the time in India, and then I discovered Thai's teachings on some meditation sutras and just rearranged to go to Plum Village when I came back to Sweden. And um, for me, it gave a lot of energy and uh, nourished my bodhicitta a lot to be with other young people. When I practiced in Sweden, I did it mostly on my own or maybe, you know, middle-aged women. So it's having other, both men, but other female, more my age. I was 29 when I came there. It was, it, it gave me a lot of energy and felt very inspiring. And then I think something happened too. The first time I just saw Thai, he, he led the Sangha walking meditation in Upper Hamlet. And as I stood to the side, I just feeling like Thai's energy just spreading and just uh, the gentleness and the stability of his steps is like something deep inside of me just feeling, I want to learn how to walk like that. And so I just stayed on and, you know, Eventually, I asked to become a monk. Right, right. And um, I know your your mom was into spirituality and the spiritual life. Um, was that also was that part of you becoming interested in Buddhism and meditation as well? I think thanks to my mom, I attended my first meditation retreat in uh, or a course in in Sweden, uh, a transcendental meditation course. And she handed me some uh, spiritual books and, you know, uh, ideas. And uh, so in that sense, like, yeah, she was a support, uh, maybe my only support when I was still in Sweden in, in that regard, yeah. And um, where in India did you go? Which, which uh, location was it? Well, I spent a fair amount of time in Rishikesh, close to the Ganga River. And then I went to Dharamsala for a while and uh, attended some uh, retreat there and spent time just 
beautiful place with so much Dharma around and so many practitioners. And I ventured to Bodhgaya and I stayed there for over a month. And that's where I also discovered Thai's teaching. And then I traveled some more. Yeah. So I was there for four and a half months that, that first time. And and did you discover Thai's teachings through some books or some people that were um, um, teaching? Yeah, I, I, in Bodhgaya, I found a, a lay teacher. Uh, a maverick that's been practicing in all kinds of settings and um, offering his own, you know, uh, way of, so I practiced with him for a couple of times a day and he gave teachings and uh, he recommended Thai's books. He spent some time in Plum Village early, early years. And so he actually got one of his friends that ran this travel agency to to uh, sell some of Thai's books. So. There's like two, two of these uh, commentaries on teaching uh, that was available. So I brought those and I spent, had them with me for the entire trip. It felt like always kind of going back and referring to these. And so you found that really helped you understand the practice and go deeper in the practice um, for yourself? Yeah, what I appreciate that it was such a seamless um combination of meditation practice and daily life because that's what been a, a kind of a suffering actually in Sweden when I meditated and I saw the benefit but then going out and how do I deal with the situation that happened in daily life this the, the discrepancy became so large it became like difficult to manage actually so at times I could feel like meditation at that stage became like a Oh, not only a refuge, but a little bit like, oh, I need to meditate first before I can go out there. <laughs> and so with Thai's teaching, I thought, wow, this like this integral part of like both. That, I, that really just took to heart and felt so familiar. Yeah, I, I felt the same when I, I, I went to Thai's 21-day retreat in Vermont in 1997. And he was teaching on the... Um, 16 exercises of mindfulness of breathing. Mm -hmm. And so I really felt inspired by those teachings. And then, like you said, I also just felt inspired by Ty's presence that he just radiated this energy field of peace and stability. And, um, and also, like you're saying that, that there were a lot of young people. And so I think, yeah, just the combination of good teachings, the presence of a spiritual teacher and um, a lively community, like all of those things together really felt. Um, that's what resonated for me and made me want to become a monk also. Um, yeah. That, that, do you have a similar um, kind of experience like that? Or, or do you have um, questions about what Jim has shared? I think it more or less ties in. I think um, for me, bodhicitta is something very universal. It's not too per personal, although it touches us each differently. I like to think of bodhicitta also as the awakened heart, because chitta can be translated as mind or heart. And sometimes, especially in the Vietnamese tradition, we say that uh, our lineage is the heart tradition, tam, right? um, which has transitioned to another 
name name now I think is Swiss. But um yeah how Yem shared about um Sing Tai Wak for me that left a very deep impression in me. And I realized like we had spoken about Tayak Tan shared in a few podcasts, but that was really Yeah, for me, I, I saw that it was like a, the Buddha Sangha for the first time. Everything that I've read in books, uh, um, the Buddha Sangha uh, attracted young people from all walks of life. And it was just like, um, I think Tai, he just brought this awakened energy, like a, a torrent that you just uh, go in. And I think as a young man practicing uh, that left a very deep impression on me that there's yeah um, conditions are there and we should for, for me at least i tried to make the most out of it uh, each day i was there so yes and i'm curious this is a, a question for you jim but also i'm happy to share as well but um what what drew you to wanting to become a monk as opposed to say living at Plum Village as a lay practitioner? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Um, it took me, everyone kept saying that, wow, you decide so quick. But I thought it was a long, long journey of seven months or something, just staying at the, with the community and seeing the shifts of different seasons. And, you know, I, I also like uh, this reference of path of heart and uh, I could feel like there was a knowing in my heart early on that this is uh, I've come home and this is what I want to do to ordain and stay and my mind needed some more time and some verification like that it makes sense somehow and that was in 2002 that I came and then somewhere fall of, of 2002 and we were having afternoon sitting meditation and in transformation hall in, in Upper Hamlet and I was sitting in second row just in front of Tai Doji and some other older brother and I just felt the love and the peace radiating from him and I just felt like I have to give myself the gift of staying here because I, I had the habit of being self-reliant and I could do something and I go back home and practice and start something like no 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 you just give the self, yourself the gift of staying here so that was like the tipping point for us like yeah there's no there's no other choice possible for my for myself um i've shared this with dot episodes but um we talk about the three energies the jing chi shen and uh, so Jing is energy becoming matter. It's also um, food, exercise, sleep, but also sexual energy. And before I had become a monk, I was doing this Taoist dual cultivation practice where me and my partner um, were having sex, but we were um, channeling the sexual energy into the breath energy and then channeling the breath energy into the heart, the heart-mind energy. And then when we went to the 21-day retreat with Tai, it felt like Tai's spiritual energy kind of resonated with our spiritual energy. And then it, it just felt like it made sense 
that, okay, now we want to do the celibate version of the practice where I'm preserving my sexual energy so I can... On it, trans- I don't know what that means. Oops, sorry. If my you like, serious like search the web for. <laughs> so then it felt like this kind of natural progression where we wanted to be celibate and um, preserve our sexual energy so that we could channel that into our spiritual energy. Um, and that the idea of the the sexual energy, the breath energy, and the spirit energy, the heart energy, it's all it's all one system of energy. Um, and so for me, it felt like oh, when I was at the monastery and with Thai and the Sangha, it felt like, oh, I'm I'm in this energy field where it feels natural for me to want to want to go deeper into that um, practice and that it, it feels natural for me to want to be celibate um, as a result. Um, so I'm wondering, did, did you have any kind of, does that spark any ideas in you? And also Dot as well, does that spark any ideas in you? Well, I can just um, briefly comment. Uh, mm-hmm. Vivian had something to share. Um, yeah, by the way, it's a Tan Khi, Tan in Vietnamese, <laughs> Ying Chi and Shen. Um, yeah, I think um, if we look at it in the light of like the, the Yogacharya teachings where the individual collective are not two two energies i can understand how you can connect to that energy and i i felt like as a young practitioner i think because we're at least in my case there was a certain openness and receptivity um tai haoro say you have to be open to receive everything is already there but how open am i and i think because there's there such much a curiosity to learn everything was conditions were there to receive I guess the the blessings or the teachings and um, for for me there's another like Antoine Lavoisier the French chemist that Thai cites uh, very often he said rien se crée rien se perd tout se transforme so everything is um, Nothing is created, nothing is destroyed, everything transforms. And I felt like sort of like um, the path is sort of that at that moment. And even as we speak that there's uh, how to work with energy, I guess, and how to how do I as a practitioner put myself in the best environment to work with that energy to be more uh, specific. And I think that's where there has to be like a very deep listening of, of the heart and um, everything that I guess I could share I've learned from Tayak Tan also I can honestly tell you uh, everything that I do in my life I see his impressions but he always tell me if you're not yourself then uh, you're living a lie you know <laughs> he said you can be in robes and monks you can be whatever but if you're not yourself, then you you have to ask yourself some questions. So, I think in that in that case, yeah, energy resonates in me. How to be ourself, and how do we connect from there? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think um, both some of the, the Taoist teaching on energy is I've been learning more about actually since I've come home to Sweden and, and attending also a, a Qigong trainer, a teacher training for two years, uh, which I I feel very nourishing and also exploring a sacred relationship with my my wife and when I left Sweden and, and went to India I was surprised I didn't meet my uh, miss my girlfriend when I came to Plum Village too I felt like wow this, there wasn't of course there was like uh, still attraction and like but there wasn't <laughs> any wanting to follow it and it kind of surprised me, but I realized that I'm, I'm getting a, a more sustainable nourishment. And also, uh, slowly, slowly, I start recognizing and, and admitting to myself, too, that actually sexual energy and sexual activity that I've engaged in in the past create a lot of suffering, both for me and others. And so also the mindfulness trainings has been very helpful to see like what, what is really contributing to, to well-being and what is creating suffering. And so at, at a time when I came to Bangladesh, I was very immature and uh, ignorant about uh, these things. And I also feel like during monastic life, it's like the container and the whole way of living, it kind of gives you a... It helps you to go in a certain direction as collective energy and also this of, I found it very beautiful to to look at each other as brothers and sisters in the family and also like lay women that came like see as a you're part of the same family and you know so to to start healing objectification I see such a, a big part of suffering it had been in my life and I see it uh, around so in a way that to be celibate was also for me like a a gift back to the world and other young men showing I can be happy and healthy living a celibate life that many had questions about obviously you know because we, we think that relationships and, and sex is kind of a necessity for us to be happy or many of us do in, in the world so um, I learned a lot from this about this all these years for sure so it's like getting in touch with <clears throat> a different source of nourishment and that nourishment made you feel happy and um also opened you up to different ways of relating with people and um that that was um um one of the elements that went into being a monastic for you yeah, and it's also a, a way of expressing this heart of love and wanting to see people as who they are, potential Buddhas, and learning to see, look at myself in those eyes. So just like at times it's just the training and a direction to go in, and at times it's like, wow, I, I touch it. <laughs> at times it's a, a bit of a realization in it. It's so satisfying. And so it's like... Is both a means and an end, if you will. You can focus on, especially like uh, um, in monastic life, and people, ah, how could you become a monk? And don't you miss this? And don't you miss that? Because we're what is seen to be normal, or what the majority does, and think is happiness. And you know, it's 
it's just an idea. It doesn't mean that it's true just because many people do it. And uh, so to to have be able to share. And I think like very few people in our world get uh, as many questions about sexuality as uh, monks do. So uh, like many times there's questions about that in retreats and so on. So it's like, <laughs> and so it's, um, and it's humbling, you know, it's such a strong vital uh, human force or biological force. So. Okay, so uh, so what was, what was it like just the, how, how many years were you in Plum Village and then um, how many years were you in Deer Park? Uh, so I came in uh, after while while after you guys. So I I ordained in uh, February two thousand and three, and stayed in Plum Village during my novice time. And um, at first, at at Shenha, that was just newly opened, a small temple close to Upper Hamlet. We were twenty two of us living there the first year, and then Upper Hamlet two years before I was asked to. I would be willing to go to Deer Park to stay. And then we already had kind of had an experience of being three months at Deer Park 2004 when I also met, met John there. And I really loved the mountains and uh, have so much outdoors available. And also living in a smaller community um, kind of appealed to me. So I agreed to go and uh, I stayed there as my permanent residence until 2020. So I was a, a, a monk for almost 18 years. Um, yeah, good job. I, did, I, I, I went for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what, 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 so what was your novice life like at Plum Village? Like what, um, do you want to talk about just what was it like getting used to the schedule? What was it like um, getting used to being in the community? Um, or maybe some some stories of like being an attendant with Thai or hanging out with Thai? Yeah, well, I think just all the different transmission has been it's been very powerful and it's like an upgrade. And so when when I we ordained, we were eighteen of us ordaining in the Walnut family, and it's like feeling like you're just plunging into a river, and there's so much more energy and support uh, available. And so it's a little bit like. Uh, going with that high and there were so many new things like first thing of putting on the robes and shaving on your own and using the alms bowl in addition to that we inaugurated a new temple two days after our ordination and so many new things and um it was going through the daily schedule also closer with the brothers and having you know, when we have free time too, we're having tea or doing calligraphy together, going out for walks or jogs. And it was just so beautiful to have like brothers around and having both my uh, daily 
um, daily practice and my engagement. I was starting to work in the registration office early as a novice, and and yeah, our our service and our free time all in one without having to commute anywhere. That was like a big uh, relief. And uh, I also noticed that it took a couple of years. It was one time I was uh, in. Um, Saint-Foy-la-Grande, a little town nearby, to pick up some people at the train station. And with another brother, we did an errand in, in Center City first. And I could feel like something in me felt, still felt more like uh, at ease in a small town. I grew up in Stockholm, our capital, so this is very small in comparison. But still, like being out in nature, it took its time to really kind of get into me. Even if I love nature all my life, but to live there and there's much less stimulation and like calm and and settle beautiful and but also it's, it's kind of challenging to go through that step by step. So slowly I, I could see like wow, my whole being was getting accustomed to it and enjoying it more and more. So that was for sure like a a, a transition and. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's wonderful to share stories about being close to Thai and so on. And it's like uh, I had some some of those as an attendant when I was a, a novice and um, yeah, some other situations and on tours later on. But one thing that is just touches me is like this um, radiation. It's almost like an energy of liquid gold or something. It just permeates. It's so peaceful and it's so powerful and it's so loving all at the same time. And it made me feel like nothing can be hidden. It's not even like being naked, but like everything in my consciousness is ex exposed. And so it's like, uh, oof, yeah, it's uh, pretty intense and, and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> I had that same thing. Like when I when I got to be attendant for Thai, I was like, "Wow, I get to be in this very peaceful, deep energy." And then at the same time, like everything in me, I'm like, "I know he's gonna." I don't know if he knows, but it feels like he knows. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever comes up. And so, yeah, it's, it was kind of intense and stressful at the same time. Like, even though I felt like he was accepting me and not judging me, just feeling that he could feel me was intense yeah that do you have um what was your feeling well i'm enjoying hearing you guys share because it's the one year anniversary huh? of um, dropping the body i say and um, i think it's very heartwarming and just because i just got back from plum village sometimes everything just goes in full circle but the the vision gets um deeper i think it's more simple but i had the it's the first time i heard brother who speak but i used to take care of him when he was a, a little boy so we built the basketball goal together and he would always come to my room but there's somebody somebody that we had a very nice uh, affectionate relationship together and um, i think one day he said you know, you inspired me to become a monk because it was cool. <laughs> but just to hear him speak in front of so many people was very moving, actually. It, he, he's really a continuation of Thai. But I think we we all received different transmission from our teacher. And I think um, each has left a very 
deep impression on each of us so that's um but for as my, for myself i was like lucky enough to be at thai's hermitage sometimes almost every night and to give him gao ya the vietnamese spoon massage and just to drink tea with him and before we go back with a caretaking team and also building the meditation hall up in the hermitage um me and thai phap do we spent a lot of time in that in that place but there's many stories but once i i fell asleep in his den you know at thai's hermitage when you walk in on the right that's where he writes and he has a little bed to rest and i was just so tired and i just fell asleep and this is when i really questioned what is consciousness actually because i was dreaming during this time and i had always had difficulty with my mother like there was like a lost child in me that I was always looking for her affection that we didn't have because we were immigrants from the war and uh, living a life of poverty and in america with the parents um, really uh, not really present most of the time in the in the early 70s mid 70s but from this dream i was looking from the perspective of my mother and for the first time i sort of understood and in that dream is like i was able to reconcile from that understanding is like it's from a false perception why i felt lonely was for my own perception of what what was happening through our relationship together and i just woke up and tai was just standing there by the door and i looked at him and he looked at me and we didn't say a single word but he just nodded his head because there was something like he saw that i understood something perhaps very deep you know and i i realized you know in the yoga charya teachings we said like a liar it records everything but i don't think it only records everything from our perspective but from every perspective so i'm i'm really like now <laughs> very careful because i said what what goes in is going to come out what goes around comes around <laughs> so i i try to live in a way where yeah, i'm being aware of that insight so but i i think yeah the the environment that tai created created these conditions for all these um, insights to arise in. okay and so then um what was it like for you jim then to go to deer park and um you were there a long time um does it all seem like kind of one continuous thing or do you kind of break it up into stages or um um i guess that's one question or and maybe a more simple question could just be what was it like when you first got to deer park <laughs> 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 yeah. no actually just arriving at deer park i was um, very touched because uh, it was dinner time when we came back to celebrity hamlet and Taifa Byung, uh, the abbot was coming back with us and uh, three brothers that had been recruited. So we all came together. And just the uh, warmth of the brothers receiving Taifa Byung and, and us back, it was, yeah, it's just such brotherhood. So if it's like one thing that I've enjoyed the most through these years is like siblinghood, but brotherhood in particular, since we live so close together and 
you know, it's like, uh, um, yeah, see each other at, at our best and worst and still, you know, commit to going through the day and, you know, uh, life together. It's, it's so beautiful. So that was a... Um, uh, very touching, and I, I felt I, I did appreciate also this kind of a, there's a lot of openness. It's partly because of the the mountains and the spaciousness of Deer Park, and also being a, a far away from Plum Village, and you know you have to Dhamma teachers have to teach and take care of things because it's so far away from Thai most of the time. And so it, it creates a bit of a different atmosphere and a smaller community and closer to town so people can come up also for the day more. And, and I really enjoy that exchange too of having close friends over time that came up regularly that, you know, so it's a, there's a different flow of, of the community there just because of the geography and causes and conditions. So somehow I felt really at home. And, yeah, I had kind of a similar feeling when I I went to Deer Park. I guess two thousand. I went. I went to actually went to um, Maple Forest Monastery for six months, and then I switched from there to go to Deer Park. So I ended up in Deer Park sometime in two thousand, I guess. Um, and yeah, the feeling of being in a smaller community and then being away from Thai. So it was like you don't get the supportive energy field of Thai, but it it kind of made me have to go deeper into my own practice. And then it made me, you know, it made us as the small Sangha be more connected with each other. So I also like that too, because it just felt like it was like causing my roots to go down deeper uh, and like go deeper into myself and deeper into the small community. Um, so, so I like that a lot as well. Um, and also for me, it's also something is this hard connection too. It's like when I lived in Upper Hamlet and we're maybe 40, 50 monks, it's like maybe one third. I felt like I was close to, and I had kind of a, a, a regular sense of a, you know, so you build a relationship, and one third very like a little bit, and one third just coming and going. I don't barely know everyone's names because there's also a shift in brothers coming and going between centers and on tours and so on. So at Deer Park, I felt like also that's kind of a it feels natural to me, and, and it nourishes me in terms of sangha building too, of like. Um, getting to know the people I live with. I feel like that's important. So it felt like a little bit of an institution and so big in, in Upper Hamlet at times, and also on days of mindfulness. So that's one one thing that really also kept my, like just care of individuals at the same time as, as a collective happening. What about you, Dot? What, what was your experience? transitioning from Plum Village to Deer Park? I think uh, hearing both of you share, like we, like when um, Maple Forest was was open, we, we were sent there, we were the first group. And um, I realized 
because there's different cultural aspects also. You know, the Plum Village tradition is mainly Vietnamese and the Westerners were starting to, to come. Huh? Um, and that we lived in a small house and, and that was the first time I saw that actually we're just all human beings because um, when we have a kind of like lack of um, space that, that plays a lot depending on where we're at and our practice also. And um, I remember Deer Park, we were there when it first opened also and we had to start from scratch. And just because I was so young myself, I think um, personally my, because I was taking care of Taiyak Pan as he was sick also up until a, a few months before he passed away. Um, I think when you, people who caretake, you can understand there's a bur burnout. You can get burnt out very fast. And in my case, I forgot about myself, my own needs, even eating at times. And there was just a point when I, I said, is this um, life for me? Is this path really f for me? You know, because it, it took um, more responsibility than I could have um, managed at that time. And I, I think that it helped. Like, Yem, what you said resonates. I think the, the bigger the group, for me, the harder it is to evolve. Like you look in the structures as cities, it's very, evolution is very slow. Uh, but I think the, the smaller the group, the, the more there's an influence with each person. Each person is a, we're an individual in the collective and we're all contributing that space. But I felt like looking back in hindsight, I think that's where I grew the most. Uh, as my time as a monastic and and now because i i would i would even without thai um i think i think both our our karmic connection with thai was never physical i was never attached to thai as a personality or a person uh, but more what he embodied and how i can also produce that energy also and i i realized when we live like in a small community, there's more of like a real relationship. I could honestly say every, even the brothers that have stayed and have left, we've always been brothers. And that's kind of like the, the beauty of the monastic path. There's a certain deep um, bond, which for me is the bodhicitta, um, that really kind of like unites us in a very, it's like an energy that's very tangible. I think you can even feel it as we speak right now. And I think you that really never dies. I was even joking. I said even the brothers I had the most difficulty with. And when we see each other, there's a love there. Um, just for example, I'm very, I'm, I'm like um, Like recently, Taifab Hai, he came into, our, he helped us with a webinar and Sister Kara uh, for an international webinar. But I was joking because back when we were together, we were like uh, 
enemies and we wanted to kill kill each other. I remember staying with Fabai for like three months. He'll laugh when he hears this. If he hears this, like we said, we almost killed each other, you know. And it was like, um, and like I remember going back to Deer Park. I think it was like two thousand eight, and he welcomed us, and and I was so moved because it was like really with an open arm. And I remember him saying, "Really, this." I wanted to be anonymous when I came, but I remember him making an announcement that he said, "This is a brother that helped build Deer Park," and I realized it's all just a continuation, you know, uh, in the spirit of interviewing. They're they're there for us. We're we're doing this for them. So yeah, there's a lots of like um, love, a lot of affection, and I think that I really felt that bond even with Hayak um, Tan. I think. Um, there's somebody that really taught me what true love was. We had like the his twentieth um, anniversary, and I was so surprised that everybody that showed up, all these senior Dharma teachers, monastics, and we just shared stories. But twenty、um, five years after, it seems like it was just yesterday, and we were all joking because we were saying, "Well, we thought we were sort of special." Because、uh, we felt loved by Taiyutan, but actually he loved us all, and that's maybe that's how he was sort of teaching us how to be in relationships. So yeah, so I learned a lot, especially in the small group. But for me, honestly, the bigger the group, the more it was more for me like a sort sort of like function. It was a sort of like um like、uh, John, you work in a university setting or. Like a big business, and I felt like、um, there was less of that spirit. There was more of like a a duty to do something, and that's that's where I sort of see like like the bigger the group, maybe the harder it is to evolve and to manage. Even here, we try to keep things like five to six people, because、uh, the you can make faster decisions if everyone know the practice and. Everyone can be themselves. Also, there's no like、um, uh, influence because there's like ten people that believes in this and one people that doesn't believe in that. So, there's interesting dynamics to say the least.、Um, so, I had a question for Jim because he he became the acting abbot at Deer Park because Typhoon Young went back to Plum Village.、Um, So I want to preface it just with a little story of my experience at Deer Park.、Um, so I was at Deer Park for three years, and I had two two big jobs. One one was one year I was the travel coordinator for the 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 tour. So it was like Thai, and it was like a big tour that year. I think maybe like forty monastics. And so I had to handle all of the airplane reservations, the bus, the buses, the traveling, and I had to keep track of everybody's monastic name and their real name. And <laughs> it was like that was it was a lot of work. And、um, so it felt like it made me grow. It made me because I had to take on the weight of that responsibility. So it it made me grow, and、um, just. I, I don't know. I, I feel like part of practice is growing by being able to take on weight and and hold weight basically,、uh, and and holding that weight as a way to 
build the sangha and support support what's happening, you know, at the monastery. Um, and then, then my second big job was when when we had this big retreat in two thousand four. So we had all of the monks and nuns from all of the different monasteries, plus people from Vietnam. So it was like 400, 500 people were living at Deer Park. And so the brothers chose me to be the work coordinator. So I had to be, <laughs> I was the one who had to be in charge of preparing Deer Park for everybody to arrive. And then once the retreat was happening, I was in charge of, um, it was basically I was running Upper Hamlet and um, coordinating with the sisters. Um, and one of my one 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 thing that made it easy was I, I just type up Doe was there. So I said, OK, type up Doe, you take care of the kitchen. And so, <laughs> um, he bought all of the kitchen equipment and ran the kitchen. And um, but anyway, again, it felt like this very big weight that over time I had to take on. Um, and I just remember Type Up Young telling me like, oh, like you've really grown. Like we, I can see it in you that taking on this responsibility really, really made you grow as a person and go deeper in the practice. So practice is not just about the meditation or teaching, but it's also holding the weight of responsibility and, um, so I'm just curious what your experience was like becoming the acting abbot at Deer Park and um, what that was like for you. I've long, long had this kind of insight or just like clarity that with more capacity is also more responsibility, whatever like we call it. When there's more love, there's more stability, there's more uh, um, willingness to uh, be in harmony with, with others. There's uh, responsibility is kind of presented itself for me. And I feel like I practice also like saying yes to most things um, if I could. And sometimes I say no, but, and it also come out of a period where and in 2009, me and the uh, ordination brother that were in Deer Park at the same time, we were like becoming a um, Dhamma teacher train in training. <clears throat> and um, it, it's quite organic. It's like the Zen training of like the younger buffalo follow the bigger one. So uh, that was a lot of the training in Deer Park. And I asked for Bume, so like, uh, you know, because he was my mentor at the time and I just like, you know, will you train me or something just to help prepare because it's, it's like this uh, unknown in the way. And, and he continued, we'll see how open you are. That was his only comment. And he kept showing up when I was sitting outside for tea. He kept showing up when I was in the office. He showed up and it's like, so we just started spending a lot more time together. And then 2010, I kind of continued. I was over in Plum Village and received a, a lamb transmission from Thai, which also like brought my energy level and my, my also like rootedness in the Sangha to a, a whole nother level. So like in the fall time during an Asia trip, Thai Fabium asked me over lunch, um, 
if I would be willing to step in as assisting acting abbot while he was in Plumbeli for three months. And I would kind of like, um, um, I kind of knew that it would be more than that, but uh, that was the official story at least. And so I say, um, I said yes, and uh, we hide five on it then, and then Typhoid Bium told the Sangha when we got back to Deer Park, and at first I was really nervous. It's like it's like this unknowing. I don't know. I've you know worked very closely to Typhoid Bium, and I've spent a lot of time with him. I still don't really know what he's been doing and what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's like this <laughs> stepping into the unknown too. That I felt was actually really good training for me. And at times really difficult, and um, it grew over the years too because it, it didn't didn't end after three months. But my uh, assignment kind of prolonged for over nine years. I was about at the park until I left in, in March 2020, and uh, it was difficult when brothers and sisters after three months, after four or five months, have you talked to Fabium? Is he coming back? Because everyone loved him a lot. He's wonderful. <laughs> So it was kind of like not just any spot to step into. It was like it was really challenging at times, and uh, and also I, when I said yes, there was two main reasons. Like one, I wanted to give him the space to go to Plum Village, be closer to Thai again, and to become an elder in the Sangha more than the Abba, even more. And the second was like I think I have enough conditions. To do this and learn from it, and um, yeah, so there's, there's many stories to, to share in those years, but uh, I, it was very rewarding. And um, when I was in Plum Village 2015 16 over the winter retreat, and I was also attending Thai for a period that time when Thai was back in Plum Village. Um, is, um, I felt like, yeah, I'm willing to, to continue for a couple of years to, because I, I felt there was new things I want to learn, and new ways I wanted to engage in that role. And it's also like for, in many, many religious Buddhist traditions, like the abbot is like the leader that decides everything. And that's not the case in Plum Village. You're like an older brother that is, uh, I think a couple of quotes that, I share about is like you're there for everyone all the time and your most important job is to see the qualities and the talents, the potential of brothers and sisters and help them grow and so in that sense it's like a sangha mom or like a, a supporter and a nourisher like a, uh, empowerment role more than decision making or anything in those aspects, I enjoy a lot, and I feel like it comes natural to me, and I like it. Yeah. Dad, do you have any questions or comments about that? Yeah, what Yam said resonates because uh, with the Sedoble community, I guess I would play the role of an abbot here, making different. Um, and I would just, I think everything I learned at Plum Village, I was able to apply in my transitions. We're even working, um, when I first left the monastery, I was working like three or four different jobs just to, to make ends meet. 
but I felt like I had like the, the, the tools necessary to really and I don't know if for you guys I felt like there was a shift and how my mind functioned also pre and post I felt like I wasn't reacting to the same things of course we all have our habit energies that come up every now and then but I felt like there was a certain transformation at the base we say well, oh, I'm looking at through things at, at a different lens now. Whereas, um, I remember because here the brothers do come by, the older brothers, uh, at our center. Sister Gina has been here, um, type up Leo, type up G, uh, because we are, like I said, the connection is very, very deep. Huh? I just spent the, the afternoon with Sister Gina last Sunday, just speaking. We had tea together. And she said, well, it's so nice to see you back because it's, um, we need to see your faces even here, you know. And um, and I think what it helped me, like Yim said, is like, because when I was living in the community, I did everything. Also working in the office, being transport, being the, like practice. And they gave me just like the, the savoir-faire, just to, to, to do things in a very natural way where it's like you can basically multitask but you're fine and people would say like um i remember when typhoon leo came here he said how do you do all these things at the same time and i, I said i guess i've been trained for it and there's a certain trust that there's no perfect way you make a lot of mistakes actually <laughs> and and you're not there to sort of like please people either you know you, you just want to create the best conditions for a certain collective harmony and i guess yem having that experience i think that could go very far in whatever we do but i think the deep down the deeper aspect is just like a certain trust a certain trust in the unknown and i think that lesson i learned also with tai i remember as his attendant, he would ask me to uh, reply to different emails. And this is when I was a novice. And I said, Ty, what do I do? This person wrote to me. And I'm supposed to, he said, well, just write something and sign my name. And I said, I'm not going to do that you know, <laughs> because I write something wrong. And, and I realized he said that because not that he trusted me, but he wanted me to grow in a certain way. Not that I, I would have the right to write anything I want, and but I felt like, wow, he entrusted himself into me like that. And that taught me a lot to how I perceive people. Um, I think there's a, a quote from uh, Michelangelo saying like, because he was such a master sculptor, they say, how do you create these beautiful angels? And he said, I just saw the angels and the rock and I liberated them. And I felt like, especially with Tai and Tai Yak Tan, they really looked at us in a way where we were all awakened already. And it's like, and how to keep that spirit alive. You know? so. so I think it's been about an hour. Maybe um, we could have another episode where we talk about what it was like for us to transition from monastic life into lay uh, Dharma teacher life and what we're doing now. Um, 
So um, I guess I just would like to say thank you both of you for this session. I, it was very nourishing for me. And um, um, yeah, I, I like that was saying, it feels like once once a brother, always a brother. Uh, <laughs> like it feels like the, this, the brotherhood is, it, it feels like the same energy or continuation and um, so yeah, I just feel a lot of gratitude for for this. Um, any any final thoughts? No, it is quite palpable from from over here too. And uh, I just just to, to summarize, brotherhood is like the first time I really met John. We shared a room at Northwestern College during the US tour 2003. You were my roommate there. And I came to the room and you sat on your bed, I sat down on my bed and you just started asking questions and like really listening. And I was like, wow, I have like an older brother here, you know, and that was like, oh, wow, it's so wonderful. So um, this, is, this is a continuation. <laughs> uh, thanks. I, I remember that as well. Yes, that, that was a good exchange. Yeah. So that was recorded in the ultimate dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would just like to thank both of you. I, I really enjoyed listening to your your sharing experience and very nourishing for me personally. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you, Doc. Okay, great. So until next time. <laughs>